Season two of Breaking Beta is brought to you by Gnarly Nutrition. After the episode, use the code BETA15 for 15% off of your next order at gonarly.com or click the link in your show notes to have the code automatically applied. Gnarly Nutrition. Push your possible with science-backed, delicious sports nutrition. So, tonight's the night. No turning back. Okay, let's do this. Okay, so first I assign point values, correlate to effect of removal. You gonna split the eights? Skylar, please. Now, the mathematical principle known as the Kelly Criterion, upon which I devised my own strategy, not dissimilar to the MIT system. Well, you're not teaching them. I thought you wanted me to be thorough. Just play, you're taking too long. What, you don't think it behooves me to be able to explain any of this? It behooves you to be a pro, that's all I'm saying. That's the fiction, so chop chop. Don't chop chop me. Tonight is the night, or... More appropriately, today is the day, season two, episode one. We are probably going to make it more complicated than it needs to be. We're probably <laughs> going to take longer than we need to, but you know, science. Yes, science. That's how it goes. That is how it goes. Uh, today, we're looking at two papers that attempt to clarify some issues around the validity and reliability of simple ways of measuring finger strength and or endurance. Um, and, and I hesitate to say we're measuring strength and endurance because I'm not entirely sure that's what we're measuring here. Um, I'm a coach, so I'm going to talk in ways that communicate to people better. And I think just saying strength and endurance makes more sense to folks. Really what we're measuring here is how hard can we pull on an edge and how long can we hang on an edge? So whether those actually meet strength and endurance protocols or requirements, we're not sure. I mean, I don't know about you. That's all climbing requires, really. Just <laughs> pulling on an edge and hanging on for a long time. That's, that's it. it. That's yep. it. That's yeah. all I need. Just train that and you're you're going to be Alex Magos in <laughs> no time at all. Um, and maybe more precisely, these are looking at whether or not these tests can be used to accurately predict climbing ability. And, and I certainly appreciate that about them. You know, it's something that, that we've tried to look at in our own um, business quite a bit. And where we left off in the Better Call Pauls with the IRCRA test battery, it can sometimes look like science is trying to complicate things, uh, <clears throat> climb a flex. Uh, but <laughs> these papers are trying to make it simpler for the sake of coaches and climbers to be able to measure or predict someone's climbing ability. And, you know, we, I joke about that, you know, this is all you need, da, 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 da. But, you know, it is an important data point to consider yeah. with everything. So it's not like I think this is a wild goose chase or it's that we don't need to look at this stuff because, um, you know, it can be useful in tracking and making sure you improve. Yeah, very much so. So the papers we're looking at today, um, number one, the reliability and validity of a method for the assessment of sport rock climbers isometric finger strength. Authors are Dave Giles, Ollie Tor, Tom Randall, Remus Knowles, Stephen Atkins, essentially the lattice crew there. <laughs> um, 
or at least part of the Lattice Crew. It's in the Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research, January 2020. The purpose was, one, to determine the test-retest reliability of a maximal isometric finger strength protocol that uses a pulley system to add or remove weight to or from climber's body mass, and two, to establish the criterion validity of isometric finger strength with self-reported climbing performance for the disciplines of route climbing and bouldering. And uh, to just clarify criterion validity, that's just pretty much um, how does this measure reflect to the gold standard of what we're looking at. Right. And because this is measuring maximal isometric finger strength, um, they shorten it to MIFS. I'm just going to be referring to this as the MIFS paper throughout this, just so people are recognizing what we're talking about. Second paper, which I'm going to call the Hang Time paper, uh, title is Which is the Most Reliable Edge Depth to Measure Maximum Hanging Time in Sport Climbers. I do appreciate that she didn't say um, what's the most reliable edge depth to measure endurance in sport climbers here. It's measuring maximum hanging time. Authors are Ava Lopez Rivera, Juan Jose Gonzalez Badillo, and Vanessa Espana Romero, uh, a name we saw last week in the testing battery for the IRCRA. Um, journal El Sevier Gait and Posture, and the purpose was to analyze the reliability of the maximum hanging time exercise on different edge depths, 6, 8, 10, 12, and 14 millimeter, in non-elite and elite rock climbers. And I think it's cool that we're looking at both of these because they're two like pretty different tests. So yeah. it's it'll be cool to compare and contrast. Yeah, I like that they're both trying to answer a similar question, you know, trying to move this thing forward, but coming at it from slightly different angles. Mm-hmm. All right, let's do it. You clearly don't know who you're talking to, so let me clue you in. I'm Paul Corsaro. I'm Chris Hampton. Lucky two guys are just guys, okay? And you're listening to Breaking Beta. Where we explore and explain the science of climbing. With our skills, you'll earn more than you ever would on your own. We've got work to do. Are you ready? Ready, 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 ready? ready. I am. You? You know, uh, you guys can't see this in the video, but I've got three drinks here. I've got coffee, <laughs> I've got uh, water with gnarly hydrate, and I've got a protein shake with uh, gnarly creatine, collagen, and protein in it because I'm lifting after this. So yeah, I'm, I'm fucking ready. I have consumed my Chemex of coffee for the day, so I'm good to go too. <laughs> yeah, this is the bottom of my Chemex right here in this cup. <laughs> Um, you want to take us through the methods here? Sure. In a scenario like this, I don't suppose it is bad form to just flip a coin. Cool. So we're going to dig into the uh, MIFS paper first. So pretty much they wanted to do two things with this paper. They wanted to make sure the MIFS measure, which I'll talk about here in a second, is reliable from test to test. So it means it's going to come out pretty much the same if you take the same person and test them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're also going to make sure that this score correlates well with climbing ability. So for the uh, reliability part of the test, they had 15 um, climbers. I believe all were male. Um, they tested two times uh, within seven days. They wanted to have a 48-hour rest in between. So what they would do is they would come in, they would do their own warm-up, and then go into a standardized warm-up. 
and then performed the test. So the test was hanging from the lattice rung, so it's a 20 mil edge, um, hang with a arm overhead, and they would have a pulley to take weight off to a point where a climber could hang for five seconds. If they could successfully hang for five seconds, they'd slowly remove the assistance until the climber couldn't hang for five seconds. If they could keep adding weight, they would add weight until they found the heaviest uh, total load the climber could successfully hang for five seconds. So they did that, and then they would come in later on after 48 hours of rest sometime within the week and test it again. And they'd look at those numbers, make sure how they matched up. And then for the second part where they tried to look at that criterion validity, they took 228 subjects who, if I interpret this right. correctly, did the lattice assessment. And they did a couple cool things with here where they made sure the people who did the assessment were tested by one of the researchers. So I thought that kept some degree of consistency in there. Yep. And um, so they were able to get that MIF score from them as well as their self-reported climbing grade and would see how well that score correlated with their climbing performance. And then I think that pretty much covers the broad brush strokes for the methods for the uh, MIFS paper. Anything else you want to add there? No, I, I like the simplicity idea behind both of these papers. So I, I think that lays it out well. Cool. And then um, cool with that. And then we'll go on to the uh, hang time paper. So for the hang time paper, there were 36 subjects, 10 female, 26 male. Um, climbing experience ranged from one to 31 years. Uh, climbing grade, uh, if we go by the IRCRA number, which I thought was cool to see this continuously start to pop mm -hmm. up more and more. Uh, 13 through 27, which if uh, my research checks out, it's 10D to 14B. So a pretty good range of folks here in yep. this uh, test. So what they would do, uh, you would hang from a straight arm using a half crimp or open, open crimp type of grip on an edge-shaped handhold until you failed. So failure could have been the climber lost contact with any one finger of the hold, so the pinky comes off. I guess that means you automatically fail, Chris. And then um, <laughs> Always. <laughs> and then uh, another way the test failed is if um, the climber flexed their arms or hips or extended their shoulders, which – they kept this consistent with some of the uh, Ava papers we looked at last uh, last season as well. So yeah, and maybe it's worth saying that I think the the MIFS paper also was half or open, mm -hmm. um, and failure was you know if you changed grips, like if you fell out of the half cramp or you know pinky slipped off, uh, same as the Ava paper, and um. In the lattice uh, MIFS paper, the, the protocol uh, that we talked about in the IRCRA test battery, which was um, not engaging the shoulder or elbow, they got rid of that. Um, mm -hmm. you, they were allowed to slightly engage the shoulder and elbow for their test. Yeah. True. That's a good point there. Um, so for, for the uh, hang time paper, so what they basically did was there were – Let's see, one, two, three, four, five edges, uh, six millimeter, eight millimeter, 10 millimeter, 12 millimeter, and 14 millimeters. And the climber would hang in whichever grip they preferred, open or half, until failure like we talked about. Um, they would start with a brief session just to make sure everyone was on the same page with how to hang and everybody was familiar with that. Um, and then they would hang on each edge for failure with a 10-minute rest in between. But on the smaller edges, if you hung for less than 30 seconds, they changed that rest to five minutes. Yeah, um, I was I was unsure about that change. Um, 
I, I, you know, failure's failure in my opinion. So um, I'm not sure why that less rest was given. I guess in the means of efficiency, but I think if you want to keep things consistent, I think it would have been interesting to see with everything 10 just straight across the board. Yeah, I agree. Leave that for smarter minds than me. Science is a mystery. I love that clip. It's so good. (laughs) But so they took this test twice, similar to the uh, MIFS paper, where they'd get all the measures for those numbers, week apart, and with a uh, 48-hour rest time before they'd come in and run the test again. And again, they just wanted to see how those two tests matched up, how reliable they were, and uh, making sure there weren't any big changes in variance there. So that, I think, covers the hang time exercise or uh, paper. Yeah, I think so. Um, anything in those methods that you thought was particularly surprising or particularly smart? Again, I liked the 48 hours of rest in between. Uh, I'm, still, I'm still torn between the choice of grip. Um, it'd be interesting to see, mm-hmm. look at both or just make everybody do one. Um, it seems to add a little bit of variability in there, but, um, other than that, I think both are pretty, pretty well put together. Like it makes sense how things are organized and you can clearly, clearly see what they're trying to look at with all this. How about you? Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Totally. I, I would like to see that standardized or looked at both. You know, again, we've said this multiple times throughout uh, season one and now in season two that, you know, it takes a lot of time to do these studies. So, you know, when you start essentially doubling the length of the study, of course, it is going to be harder to have the money to do it, have the time to do it, have the subjects willing to do all of that. So, Mm -hmm. so I get it. Um, I do like a lot that uh, we're, we're using a larger data set here, particularly in the MIFS paper, mm-hmm. um, you know, using the assessment that Lattice has been building. They've, um, they've got 184 males and 44 females in this study, which I think is great. Um, again, we'd love to see more women, but this is a good start, you know, mm-hmm. and I, and I totally understand it. We've had trouble getting enough women into our assessments. Um, to be able to filter for women specifically. So it's definitely a little tougher to get those numbers for whatever reason. On that note, it was a little surprising that for the reliability testing on the MIS paper, there were no women. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that as well. I, I wish that was, you know, different. Um, yeah. Uh, maybe lo- if someone who's not with Lattice wants to replicate that study, um, could be cool to change that up. Uh, yeah, group yeah, up a totally. bit. Totally. Totally. Um, and the other thing I'd, I want to say about the the methods here, um, both of these papers are looking for simple. Um, and, you know, I think that's, that's a thing that coaches need, climbers need. Um, they seem to disagree a little bit on what simple means. Um, the MIFS paper says – a pulley and a fingerboard. Most gyms are going to have that. Uh, the Ava, Ava Lopez hang time paper says, um, you know, a lot of these other tests have been done with expensive equipment and we want to make it simpler, just the fingerboard for mm-hmm. the hang time. And um, so I did a poll on my Instagram just to see uh, how many commercial gyms people go to that have 
a pulley available because my commercial gym climbing over the last decade is pretty, um, my experience is pretty low there. And I don't recall seeing many gyms with a pulley. So I was curious if this actually is a simple and, you know, repeatable way for coaches. Mm -hmm. And the results I got from my super scientific Instagram poll (laughs) were that um, 185 people said yes, their gym did have a pulley with the fingerboards. 71 people said no, their gym did not have a pulley with the fingerboards. So a majority does have a pulley available, but over a quarter of people didn't, you know, use that how you will. We have a pulley option at Crux, but man, we haven't set that thing up in probably three years. Yeah, I have one in my own gym in the machine shop, um, but I don't know that many people use it. Um, It it would be interesting to to see, you know, I was just looking at people, all 71 of those people who said no could have gone to the same gym. I don't have any idea. (laughs) Um, So it would be interesting to see how many gyms actually do have a pulley and whether this is a, a setup that every coach can actually look at. And, you know, in contrast, looking at uh, the hang time paper, you know, hanging on an edge for as long as you can, no added weight. That's pretty simple. It's pretty damn simple. Yeah. Uh, let's take a break and we'll come back and look at the results of these papers. Please. All right. I really need a break here. Okay. Let's be honest for a second. I'm not getting any younger or less stubborn. And as I approach my 50s with no plans to shelve my desire to continue climbing harder, I have to put a premium on products that are trustworthy, high value, and easy to implement. With careful use of gnarly creatine, collagen, and protein, I can get in more quality workouts with more power, and that means more and harder climbs. Win, win, win. Look it up, it's science. Use code BETA15, that's beta one five for 15% off of your next order at gonarly.com or click the link in the show notes to have the code automatically applied. Gnarly Nutrition. Push your possible with science-backed, delicious sports nutrition. Yes, science! Let's all go back to work, for Christ's sake, Okay. All right, we have returned from our break, and we're going to get into the results of these two studies, looking at ways to uh, to separate or to differentiate between grades of climbers using simple methods that most of us have available. Whatever you, whatever you think is supposed to happen, I'm telling you, the exact reverse opposite of that is going to happen. So, Paul, and since we're looking at two different papers here, um, maybe we kind of take the overall results. Both papers mm-hmm. look solid to mm-hmm. me. Both of the studies say, yes, these are reli- pretty reliable, pretty valid ways to differentiate between climbers or to predict climbing ability uh, using really simple methods. And I like that they're both attempting to answer this similar line of questioning from different angles. So Mm -hmm. I think it moves us forward on this logical path. I think so. It shows that, you know, if you're going to use these methods, like odds are you're not going to be dealing any changes you see after a training program, either, you know, improvement or, or decrease in, in, uh, in performance. 
mm-hmm. it's probably not due to just the variability of the measurement. Like it could be pretty reflective of, you know, what trajectory you're going in. So yeah, I thought it was yeah pretty good. Proved what they were looking for, for the most part. You know, this, it, reading these papers reminded me of some things I've seen on social media lately. There's, you know, there's quite a bit of talk of, it, it really varies. It's like this split field of measure everything or we don't need predictors or standards or whatever. Um, but definitely the people saying we don't need these predictors or we don't need these standards, we don't need these measurements are the ones who haven't taken the initiative to gather this data and and look at it, what it's telling us over the years. Um, and the people saying, you have to have these measurements, you have to do all this, you know, test all the time are the people who built their businesses on these tests, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, take, take all of that that you see on social media with a grain of salt, I think is what I'm saying. You mean the answer is somewhere in the middle? It's never just all on one side? <laughs> The gray area that is completely invisible on social media <laughs> is where the truth lies. Yes. Um, I think both of these papers, though, have some caveats that we need to keep in mind for mm-hmm. them to be useful to us. Um, yeah. Like I already mentioned, they seem to disagree on what's simple and what equipment most gyms have in place. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, if if you don't have a pulley setup available, then... The, the MIFS method of measuring isn't going to work for you. And um, another thing in the MIFS paper, and they actually mention it, is that um, the single arm hang may not be appropriate for folks who are you know lower grade or less experienced with climbing or right. people who just aren't familiar with single arm hangs. So, you know, that does take out a subset of climbers who's, you know, this might not be the best test for. And they mentioned that in the paper. Yeah, I also think, you know, just based on my own experience with single arm hangs and my own experience with clients uh, doing single arm hangs, I think calling it a a maximal finger strength test um, can be a little misleading simply because you have to get the shoulder really involved in this this measurement. Um, so while it may be a really reliable, really valid measure of um, how much force can we one arm hang an edge with, um, it may not actually be telling us maximal finger strength. Mm-hmm. Um, there's certainly some shoulder in there as well. And if you have super strong fingers and a weak shoulder, you're probably going to test lower than what your finger strength actually is in this measurement. For sure. Yeah. So some nomenclature changes or just being aware of that is important, especially when you take these, interpret your results and you see this like, oh, I have mega weak fingers and, you know, maybe there's some stuff that needs to be addressed elsewhere other than just the fingers before you slam your head into the wall and do nothing but single arm hangs three days a week for two months. Right. I do think it would be an interesting measurement to have in there. Um, Simply for the, you know, if you're doing a two-armed measurement that shows your your hang is great, you can hang with all this heavy weight, but then you do a single-arm measurement that shows that your fingers are weak, then maybe we can dial it down and say, oh, there must be a, you know, isolated shoulder issue happening here. Mm-hmm. Um, we can guess that. So, so I do think it could be really useful to have. 
Man, it'd also be interesting, you know, we're kind of going off the realm of the paper, but it'd also be interesting looking at, you know, because we're looking at like a yielding isometric in this case, where we're just hanging from the edge. Whereas, you know, I think, you know, they mention in the intro of the paper where they talk about these measuring devices where you actually do the overcoming isometric and pull and mention, you know, they're kind of expensive and complicated. And I think we've taken some pretty big strides on that front or just realize how to use a crane scale a little more efficiently. And um, it could be interesting to compare and contrast that too. You know, maybe that's going to reflect on our single arm edge strength. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Single arm edge strength a little more, or at least a little differently than a hang. Yeah. And they mentioned in the paper that, you know, Mm -hmm. one of the next steps would be to see if, if the two uh, are similar uh, measuring with a crane scale or a strain gauge or force plate um, versus this sort of measurement to see if the two agree with each other. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually really surprised. Maybe it's out there. I haven't seen it. I'm really surprised that that paper hasn't happened yet because it's a question that I hear pretty often. Um, how does your 10 deck or your crane scale or your G strength or whatever it is that you're using, how does that agree with when you're just hanging on an edge with weight? Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I'm curious about that myself. And I know there's papers out there with like just general strength exercises right, and that being right. pretty valid and reliable, but you know, mm-hmm. it's a little different when you're pulling on an edge with your fingers. So that, that's a, that'd be a cool paper to see. I agree. Yeah, totally. Um, I think the hang time paper, sort of raises its own red flags. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if we only look at the abstract of the paper, which I definitely do not recommend only looking at the abstract, um, they say the eight millimeter edge is the recommended edge for testing hang time. And your eyebrows raise when you look at that for a second. You're like, really? I know. When I first saw that, I was like, wow, that's a small edge for hang time. And of course, my brain, when I first looked at it, was saying, how can you measure endurance? Um, Because I, I, like most people, are going to equate hang time with endurance. And, you know, how can you measure endurance on an eight millimeter edge when I'm sure there are people who can't even hang the eight millimeter edge? But again, this paper's not saying this is endurance. It's just taking hang time. And um, that eight millimeter edge, I think only 72% of the non-elite climbers in the group were able to hang it at all. Mm -hmm. So for me, that becomes an issue. And they do alternatively suggest 10 millimeter for non-elite and 12 millimeter for elite makes you squint your brain a little bit also raise my eyebrows (laughs) like like why why is the bigger edge better for elite climbers there are some interesting uh thoughts on that in the paper Um, i don't know if you're about to jump into that but uh yeah definitely um when, when you dig into the discussion in that paper they mentioned that one notable finding is that elite climbers showed a good agreement between trials in all of the holds Uh, which they theorize is related to the lower variability of performance in those elite climbers, which totally makes sense. You're, you're going to bring to the testing your mental fortitude, uh, you know, your, um, all of your skills are going to be more reliable Mm -hmm. when you're an elite performer versus a non-elite performer. I mean, that's, that's part of what makes performance elite is that you don't often make mistakes. There aren't big holes in your, in your game Mm -hmm. that could just be giving us a, this is a better test for Mm -hmm. elite climbers. 
Yeah. And a lot of that was, you know, they hypothesized that, you know, dealing with fatigue is different between those groups too. Some people are more resistant and things don't break down as easy. And, you know, especially when you, I know we're, I'm taking this back around to endurance now, but you go into higher level sport climbers, not that those climbers aren't pumped. They just climb better when they're pumped and the wheels don't fall off. Exactly. They also mentioned that, uh, in, in some other research, when looking at sub-maximal effort tests um, and linking those to longer times, what we might call endurance, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that that shows a higher vari- variability than maximal shorter tests, especially in lower level athletes. So if we're not trying to look at endurance, which this paper is not, even though we might see it that way, um, using the 8 and 10 millimeter are a more maximal shorter test for those non-elite mm-hmm. climbers. So it gives us a, a more reliable measure as opposed to when we go up in size and link that to longer times, sub-maximal effort, longer times are going to give us more variability in the performance. So, mm-hmm. so it makes total sense once you actually dig into the paper rather than just looking at the abstract. And just looking at the numbers too, if you're hanging for a shorter time, that's going to be much less miserable of a test than like hanging yeah. for like 90 seconds on an edge to fail. Like, I don't want to do that. Like, mm-mm. no, <laughs> hell no, not, not very often anyway. And yeah. you know, that takes us back to that, that mental game, um, the fatigue management, the ability to withstand the, the discomfort of hanging on an edge for that long, um, I know for sure when I go and do our testing battery that when I'm doing the endurance measurements or, you know, what, what we think of as endurance measurements, the like longer submaximal effort, longer times, my brain really <laughs> comes into play. Like just mm-hmm. fucking let go. Mm-hmm. Now is the time to let go. You don't need to continue this. What do you have to prove? You got like just the two stop. mini Chris's on each shoulder. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> it's horrible. I hate it. And and that's a skill I used to really love. Um, you know, being a red river climber, being this endurance climber, but now it's really hard for me to push through that. So it totally makes sense why, mm-hmm for the non-elite climbers, you would actually want a smaller edge and less time on the edge. Yeah, for sure. I think that's pretty cool. And something I never would have thought of had we not looked at this paper. Yeah, it was, yeah, again, it just kind of made you like stop and pause for a second. But the more I thought about it, I was like, okay, yeah, this does kind of check out within, you know, my pathways of how I think about things. So it's pretty Mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. Uh, Anything else from these papers, you know, that you kind of took away from their results and their discussions? Well, I'm bummed I didn't find out the best way and the only way to measure finger strength. (laughs) You know, that's what I really wanted out of this is what's the only way? What's the best way? But um, yeah, no, I think, you know, they both show like this could these could be good ways to measure and track some progress on some aspects of climbing. Yeah. And, you know, I think essentially, um, you know, having paid attention to what Lattice is doing with their data and, you know, modeling a little of what we do off of what they have done. Um, this, this paper, the MIFS paper anyway, is essentially taking what they've done in their assessment and, and looking at it in terms of, is it reliable? Is it valid? Um, can we actually predict climbing ability with this? And I mean, shit, it, having a paper 
based on your methods is pretty fucking good business as far as I'm concerned, you know? Yeah, it was it was cool to see them go back and, you know, check your work and make sure things check out. And I'm sure, you know, I'm sure they got the results they were hoping for, which is, you know, that's always nice to have when you built something and, you know, go back and check it. So it was good on doing their due diligence, I'd say. The point is we did our due diligence. Yep, yep. Um, some things this paper doesn't say. You already mentioned one doesn't give us the best way to, to measure finger strength. Um, what else are there? Are there other things you think this is saying? One big one for me is that these methods aren't necessarily better or worse than the strain gauges, the force mm-hmm. plates, the crane scales. Um, it just hasn't been compared yet. So, oh. so we don't really know. And this paper is not saying these two methods are the better ways. Yeah, I agree with you completely on that. They're pretty self-contained and just looking at their individual uh, individual methods. But yeah, it's not making any kind of ranking between all the different methods we have to test finger strength. Yeah, and you know, I'm a I'm a fan of the simpler methods. This is something that we talked a lot about when we were coming up with our own test battery. Um, what equipment are people going to have? Are they going to be able to do this test whether they're at home or in whatever commercial gym they go to. Mm-hmm. Um, or if they don't have any of that, if they're, you know, tucked away in the corner of nowhere in Nebraska. How can we how- still get numbers we can use? Exactly. Um, so, you know, I prefer these methods over the more complicated, maybe more precise strain gauges and force plates. Um, but this study isn't saying these are better. So if if something does arise that says – wow, strain gauges are a thousand times better than these methods, I would likely switch over. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Uh, Another thing it doesn't say is that you need to, and and this is a, this is just a gripe of mine. (laughs) I love bringing my own gripes into this podcast. (laughs) You know, science, of course. Um, It doesn't say that you have to consistently be measuring in order to improve. Um. We want to take it. We want to take science and say all of this science is telling us how to improve, and it's definitely a catchphrase to say what gets measured gets managed. However, that's not entirely true. You can measure <laughs> shit without managing it. Absolutely, <laughs> I've seen lots of people do it, um, and I think climbing already has a measurement system mm-hmm. that shows your improvement of your performance improvement or decrease in, in performance much better than either of these, these tests, which is, are you climbing harder things? You right. know, um, it's not a perfect measurement, not by any means. It's extremely imperfect, but it's the best measure of performance that we have. Yeah. I agree with that for sure. So I, we have, we have tests, we have measurements, we, we sell a, a battery of tests with, you know, results that Dale, um, creates for people or, you know, runs the numbers and gives people these graphs and we use the data in our everyday coaching, but I don't think it's necessary in order to improve. So I think, think we have to remember that. Yeah. They're supportive and helpful and can maybe make things a bit quicker and more effective, but they're not required. Yeah. For coaches, for the sake of moving this all forward, I love both of these papers. Yep. I think the the simplicity is great. The um, 
the just trying to make sure that what we're doing is reliable and valid gives us the confidence to keep moving forward with mm-hmm. whatever measures we're using in these same sort of methods. I'd like to hear from if there are any coaches out there who are using um, methods based off of the uh, hang time paper. Cause honestly, this one was pretty new for me. Kind of these, uh, um, the smaller edge hangs to failure. I know we use what a 20 mil on ours. So that's, you know, a little bit larger. Yeah. We use a 20 mil, um, hang to failure and, and we've seen good correlation. So we've mm-hmm. kept it. And, you know, like we've talked about a bit in this paper, it, or in, in both of these papers, we initially went into this saying, how can we measure strength? How can we measure endurance? And it was after many conversations over many months that we sort of came to the conclusion that we don't know if this is measuring endurance. You know, certainly it's not if some of the people are only hanging for five, six seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, it's no longer measuring endurance. It's just measuring how long can you hang on this 20 millimeter edge. So I do think our 20 millimeter version works well because we've seen a good correlation, but I do think it would be interesting to have mm-hmm. that hang time on a much smaller edge and see if it correlates better for those um, non-elite climbers. We might have to do an informal exploration at Crux with some of this stuff. I'm not going to call it a study because it's not, and people do that sometimes, but we're going to look at it. We'll yeah. See. I actually, I actually had a conversation on Instagram the other day. Um, somebody, yeah, I criticized the title of a paper that I was reading and, and somebody said, well, you know, you guys are always titling <laughs> things in a, you know, inflammatory way. And I'm like, I'm not a researcher, man. I I am not writing scientific studies. And he's like, well, I hope you research. And I'm like, look, I read lots of papers. I read lots of things. I am not a researcher. None of us are, are researchers or scientists, you know? So there is a difference there. And I think that that gets um, blurred by a lot of the social media that I see. I can't imagine you being inflammatory at all. Never. <laughs> Clickbait, man. We gotta <laughs> we gotta get people clicking on titles, so I have to <laughs> say some shit sometimes. You know. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I think we've talked a little bit about um, the application of this and how we would use it going forward. Um, is there anything else that you think you would take away from this? Would you prefer to see in our measurements that we get a one-armed hang? Um, would we throw out what we already do with the weighted two-arm hang? What, what's your thought there? I think if I had to go with what came out of these paper, I would be more intrigued in the uh, hang time approach with the smaller edge going that way. Mm-hmm. I just think I just think it'd be a bit simpler to apply. Yeah, I think so too. You know, especially when we're giving these out remote, like you would be able to write a lot shorter description on how to correctly do the hang time test than the one arm hang test. Yeah, I think most climbers have it have it available um the one trick i think is the edge sizes you know again yeah that's gonna be lots of folks don't lots of folks might not have an eight millimeter edge available and you know two millimeters is not a very it's 20 percent of 10 millimeters right there that's a yeah that's gonna change it yeah so so are we okay just going just saying small edge um 
You know, I think it's tough. We yeah. chose 20 for ours because it seemed to be one of the most universal edges that you can find out there. Um, campus rungs uh, are often around 20 millimeters. Most hangboards have something that's between 18 and 20. So, you know, I, I, I have a hard time with either of them being the simplest method. And, and that's not what they were trying to find either. They weren't mm -hmm. finding the simplest method. Yeah. So uh, anything else from these papers? I, th I think for me, it was a, I debated whether this was the first group of papers to look at because mm -hmm. we were coming right off that, you know, the IRCRA testing batteries. Do we need to talk more about testing? But I, Again, I've said this twice, I think, but I really appreciate that this is looking more at how can we make it simple for coaches and climbers to say, I need to improve these things or not. Yeah, I think, you know, this is a great way to start the season off. Like, you know, we we talk a lot about edge sizes and stuff, and sometimes maybe we want to talk about other things. And surprise, this whole season is going to be about hangboarding. It's not. But um <laughs> <laughs> I think this is the last time yeah. this season we're talking about finger strength. There might there might be a little bit more, um, but we've got a pretty wide no. variety of things related to climbing coming up this season, which I'm really excited mm -hmm. about. Uh, is there a paper or a group of papers, a topic that that we're that we have scheduled that you're most excited about? Um, some of the strength training stuff I'm excited about, you know, that's a lot of my wheelhouse and I'm excited to really dig into that more so than some, some climbing, like climbing specific edge size stuff. Like, you know, this ideal with a lot of strength and conditioning work, not just for climbers, but for other people. So, you know, I live in that world quite a bit, so it'll be cool to mm -hmm. dip into that in here. Yeah. I'm pretty excited about the more like soft skill things, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's definitely my wheelhouse and I, you know, I, I can't wait to look at the pressure papers. How does pressure affect performance? Um, yeah. I did a, you know, I did a informal project with Angie Payne years ago at the World Cup uh, in Vail asking athletes about pressure and then talking to Angie about it while she tried to take photos of, you know, really pressurized moments. Um, so, it pressure is one of those things I really enjoy looking at. I think that one's the one I'm most excited about, but then I also love questioning our assumptions. Mm -hmm. Um, it, the things that are just tradition, like chalking up and shaking out. Yeah. I'm excited and to read those. I don't know which way they're going to go. I haven't looked at them yet. So yeah, be cool. the, I love questioning what we assume works um, so I'm excited to look into whether shaking out and chalking up actually fucking help us or not. Yeah. It's cool. We've got a really, really, I think unique set of topics we're looking at this season. It's gonna, it's gonna be sweet. Yeah. All right. Um, you guys know the deal. You can find both Paul and I all over these interwebs by following the links right there in your show notes. You can find Paul at his gym Crux Conditioning in Chattanooga, Tennessee. If you've got questions, comments, or papers you'd like for us to take a look at in season three of Breaking Beta, hit us up at community.powercompanyclimbing.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, leave us a review, and please tell all of your friends who claim their $2,000 force gauge is the only way to valid is the only valid way to measure their finger strength that you have the perfect podcast for them. And we'll see you next week when we discuss three papers about shoulder strength and injuries. 
all focused on rock climbing and one specifically looking at female climbers. Hell yeah. We'll see y'all next week. It's done. You keep saying that and it's bullshit every time. Always. You know what? I'm done. Okay. You and I, we're done. Breaking Beta is brought to you by Power Company Climbing and Crux Conditioning and is a proud member of the Plug Tone Audio Collective. For transcripts, citations, and more, visit powercompanyclimbing.com slash breaking beta. Let's not get lost in the who, what, and whens. The point is, we did our due diligence. Our music, including our theme song, Tumbleweed, is from legendary South Dakota band, Riff Lord. This is it. This is how it ends.
Club Tonario.